When it comes to God, we should be most serious. When it comes to the things of God, we should be most passionate. When it comes to the things of God, we should be most sincere. Because without Him, we don't have a hope. Without Him, our family doesn't have a hope. Without Him, the devil wins. But with Him, we're already a winner. Amen? So I just think we just praise Him, love on Him. I'm telling you, I want God to make us an exuberant church. And the only way that'll happen is if we truly see and understand how good He is. How worthy He is. He's so worthy. The angels can't stop it. They see, they see, there's no, there's no cataracts. They see, and they're going, worthy, 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 without cessation, worthy, worthy. And they're trying to get a message down here to earth. So folks, if you would just see who your God really is, if you would just see him high and lifted up, if you would just see him, King of kings and Lord of lords, you too would live your lives in such a way you're declaring, he's worthy, he's worthy. I've got an issue here, but he's worthy to be praised. I've got a little setback here, but he's still worthy to be praised. My family ain't right where I want them to be yet, but he's still worthy to be praised. My checkbook don't look exactly like I want it to look, but he's still worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. Oh, God, free us up. Some folks say that it's a soulish church that does that. Well, I, I believe Jesus said we're to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? So we're not just to love him with our mind. Oh, God, here is the theological reasons why we love him. No, we're to love him with our mind. And we're not just to love him with our body, but we're to love him with our soul, our heart. Come on now. Come on, I'm calling for some soul to rise up in this house. How many of you like soul food? Man, I'm driving, any town I'm driving in, if they got a sign up there, authentic soul food, my vehicle's already been pre-programmed. The brakes drag. And the U-turn comes. Soul food, because I, I'm, I'm a soul food cooker, okay? Kids eat my food and they say, Daddy, how, how, what did you put in here that makes it so good? I said, I put my finger in it. Put my finger in it. That's what I always tell them. I put my finger in it. In other words, I got, I got me in this food. There, my heart's in this. You go, you go camping with the Thorntons and you'll know what soul food is. Because Shelly and Frankie, they, they cook from their, from their heart out. That's so much love in that food. You normally take a hamburger on a grill and it's just a hamburger, but you eat theirs at a campground. Y'all go set the campground out in the parking lot out here and say everybody can come through and have a, have a sampling. Yeah, that's a good thing. <laughs> They're like, do you know how much work that would be? <laughs> Praise God. How many of you cook soul food? How many of you like soul food? Oh, some hands that weren't up went up. Yeah. Man, oh man. It's just good. You got your finger in it. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to look at and identify uh, some things tonight that needs to be some light shed on them. Because as good as God is, the devil is just it, that bad. Everything God tries to do good, the devil tries to do bad. God wants to give you health, the devil wants to give you sickness and disease. God wants to give you wealth, the devil wants you poor and never have enough. God wants you to be ahead and the devil wants you to be behind. God wants you to be victorious. The devil wants you to be defeated. Anybody know what I'm talking about? God wants you to have a smile on your face. The devil wants you to have a frown on your face. God wants you to be good one to another. And the devil wants you to treat each other. You know how that goes. So we want to expose the enemy tonight. And let's put, let's put some Holy Ghost light on what he's trying to do so he can't get by with it anymore. Amen. So I want us to look at three primary strategies that Satan uses to destroy our family. 
He may be working one of those strategies, and if he has any inch of an entrance, or a quarter inch, or an eighth of an inch, or a sixteenth of an inch, if he has any entrance at all in any area of your life, he's got at least one of these strategies at work, because that's how he works. And we're going to expose it tonight, but before we do that, we need Holy Ghost illumination and revelation. And let's ask him to do that. Father, we come to you in the power of your word. We come to you, Lord God, by the presence of your spirit. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our minds to understand, and our soul to comprehend and put an action plan to walk it out, Lord God, your word tonight. Lord, that we can learn how to use the sword of the, sp uh, uh, the, sword of the spirit, Lord God, uh, which is your word, and we can use it with accuracy, Lord God, and we can make sure the devil will not have his claws on our family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Romans 8 and 35 uh, says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? That's what the enemy is going to try to use to separate you from the love of Christ. But he says, It is written, For your sakes we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. The devil is trying he, everything he can to destroy us. But look at verse 37. Yet in all these things we are what? Come on, you should say it with a little more gusto than that. We are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor other, any other created thing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How many of you are convinced tonight? How many of you are persuaded tonight? That there's nothing, there's no devil, there's no angel, there's no power, there's no time. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus your Lord. How many of you believe that tonight? Hallelujah. But I'm telling you this, there are forces at work trying to separate you, and you need to be aware of that. In the dark spirit realm, I am convinced that there is a war that has been declared upon the family. I believe God set the family up as a, as, as a uh, uh, you might would say, an institution of his heart's desire. So Satan is set against the family in a way to attack the very heart of God. And I believe the family is under attack. Actually, I know the family is under attack. And leading a family through the chaos of this American culture that we're dealing with today is like leading a small patrol through an enemy-occupied territory. You just can't let family just grow on its own because let me tell you what, there are mimes, there is, there is bombs, there is threats, there is uh, things that the enemy has set up to destroy your fam family. And, and the casualties in the war uh, are real uh, as if the names that are etched on the uh, Vietnam Memorial, there's casualties. And as a pastor now for 25 years and, and uh, in the ministry for 30 plus years, I've seen so many casualties in the family and it should not be. Nothing should be separating us from the love of God. Demons or, or angels or time or attacks or things that are to come or things that have already happened. Nothing should be separating us. But we know he's telling us that the enemy's trying to separate us. So we've got to have our eyes open and we've got to participate in the process. 
If you doubt this war is raging against the family, just look at some of these statistics here. These bombs are falling all around. But look at some of these statistics here. We see that... There we go. We almost got it. I'll be the newscaster one day and I'll do it and it'll pop right up there. Uh, 40% of marriages, actually over 40% of marriages end in divorce. We see in America in 1960, one out of 10 households was led by a single parent. And here in 2017, four out of every 10 households are led by a single parent. Tonight, did you imagine, can you imagine this, that there are enough teenagers to fill the Rose Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the Orange Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, the Super Bowl. Uh, there's more teenagers doing that who are practicing prostitution to support drug addiction. Tonight, can you imagine? That just breaks my heart. That should not be. Over one million teen girls get pregnant out of wedlock each year. A million and over 500,000 of those will have an abortion. That is, that should not be. Let me tell you, in a country that we say one nation under God, we should, we should say it out loud, that should not be. That should not be. There, a family is under attack. 40% of all 14-year-old girls will get pregnant before their 19th birthday, and we're not focusing just on uh, the young girl. There was a young boy involved in that as well. Come on now. 78% of American high school students have used alcohol and 66% of them have used illegal drugs and that's the ones they know about. Now that should not be. We should say that should not be. Did you know every 78 seconds a teenager in America attempts suicide? That means 46 an hour. Before we leave here tonight, over 70 attempts of suicide will have taken place among teenagers alone. So let me ask you something. What are you doing to keep your marriage off of the casualty list? And what are you doing to keep your children off of this casualty list? You need to ask yourself that. Because if you're not actively aware and involved in bringing the protection of the blessing of God and, and the protection that God has offered us over our family, the enemy's going to slip in. And, and, and we don't need that to happen. Just go ahead and say it with me. Not in my household. Not in my home. Not in my body. Not in my family. Not in my life. John 10 and 10. Jesus said it. He's dark, boy. The enemy. That's the enemy. Comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all. That's the three things he's focused on 24-7. Far as I know, the devil doesn't need sleep. I've never read anywhere in the Bible where it says he needs sleep. So while you're sleeping, he's still conniving. He's still working on how to kill, how to steal, and how to destroy your family, your body, your career, your peace, and your life. And, and if we, Jesus made that aware, but he, he made us aware of that, but he also made us aware that I have come. Now, let me tell you what, greater is he, hallelujah, that is in me than, is, than he who is in the world. And if God be for us, who can be against us? So we don't have anything to worry about when we're in Christ and we take what he teaches us and we put it into effect in our lives. We'll see the power of heaven manifested on earth and the devil is destroyed. The devil is defeated. Hallelujah. So, but we have to know that. Jesus has come to give us life and life more abundantly. And how can we get that abundant life flowing in our lives, first and foremost, understanding how to close the door and how the enemy's working with strategies to destroy. So let's look at these three primary strategies Satan uses against the family. 
And the first one is this, to effectively alienate and sever the relationship between a husband and a wife. The enemy has it top on his list. If I'm going to destroy a family and the family is the heart of God, I'm going to destroy the heart of God, I've got to start with husband and wife. I've got to get the man turned against the woman. I've got to get the woman turned against the man. I've got to get the woman not trusting the man. I've got, got, got to get the man frustrated with the woman. I've got to do whatever I can to sever, sever the relationship between the husband and the wife. And, and what we have to understand is while this is spiritual, it is also practical. Because the enemy just can't come in and say... You two, it's over. Shelly, pack your bags and you go that way. Frankie, you pack your bag. The devil can't do that. They'd kick him in his teeth if they tried, but he, he just can't, he doesn't have that authority. So what he looks for is a weakness in a husband and a weakness in the wife so he can work through them to cause conflict and to cause a hurt feelings, and to cause dissatisfaction, and to cause a wedge which starts out very, very small at the point, but as all wedges are, they get wider and further apart as it goes into the wedge. And that's what the enemy will do. Still, he's patient. His strategy is very patient. So there are some things that practically... We need to not do in our marriage because the devil will work through that. Or, and there's some things that we need to do in our marriage. Now here's some don'ts, just very practical here. Don't expect a perfect marriage. Pastor Rodica and I, she's supposed to be sitting right here. Now I'm missing my moment. Girl, where are you at? I'm missing my moment. I was going to say, Pastor Rodica and I, we got the only one that's a perfect marriage. And the rest of you got to settle for a little flaw here and there. See, I miss that. Oh, it doesn't have the right punch, so I've lost it. But even our marriage truly is not perfect. It, it, to me, it's gotten over the 22 years so perfect that I can't imagine much flaw to it. But, but let me tell you what, it didn't start out that way. And, and I was just like anybody else. If I reacted to things by my, what I saw done in my life, then I was making situations worse. You might know what I'm talking about. But when I started reacting and acting according to the Word of God, I found out it brought my marriage to align up with the Word of God. And God is the one who has given the husband and the wife to be together as one. So don't expect a perfect marriage, but expect to be perfecting your marriage. And in the New Testament, teaching of perfecting really means maturing. It gets stronger and better and healthier with every day that passes. You should be more in love today than you were when you got married. You should respect one another more today than you did when you got married. You should be treating each other better today than the day you got married. Now, you put on a lot of show that day you got married. You know you did. You had the crazy family there. There's that crazy part of the family was there. We all got a crazy part of our family. Anybody here don't have a crazy part of your family? There's at least one, an uncle or somebody, that, that's just got a little, little off. Well, we got them all together, and we lived. We got them all together for a ceremony, and we survived, okay? And now we are a year, two, five, 10, 15, 20, 50 years later. Let me tell you why. We should be growing in our respect and growing in our maturation of how we express the love of God because we should be growing as Christians, amen? So, so don't expect a perfect marriage, and, make, and, and don't make your, your mate the butt of your jokes, 
That should not be. Oh, but it's funny. It, it, it's not funny. How many of you know many times a joke is told and behind it is really the truth? But because they said it in a funny way, they get by with it. You, you don't need to make your spouse the butt of your jokes. And then I got a third one there. Don't nag. Now, some of you would say, well, that's, Pastor, that's only to the woman. Uh-huh. No, 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 no. Let me tell you what. I've lived long enough to know, and I've met some nagging men. You ever met a nagging man? Don't, don't point at him. He might be sitting too close to you. <laughs> don't use the word divorce. Satan's looking for a little tiny hole to get a pinpoint of, of, of the wedge in there so he can start prying you apart. And one of those is using that D word. It should not be a part of your language. It should never, no matter how angry you get at each other, no matter how disappointed you get at each other, that should never be a part of your language. Life and death is in the power of your tongue. you got to be careful what you let come out of your mouth. Come on now. And don't criticize. How many of you know that your spouse is not perfect? I got one brave soul, two brave, three, four, five. (laughs) Man, this is like... Confess your fault one to another and God will truly, truly deliver you from the valley of the shadow of death. You shouldn't fear any evil, but you know you are. <laughs> Let me tell you what, none of us are perfect. Amen. Amen. And if we can, we can find a flaw, sometimes the flaw is not that they're wrong. It's just it doesn't, it doesn't flow with what you like. Right? I, I, I counsel this couple in my history and, 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 and one of them pops their neck, okay? And they just, they'll move their head and they'll go, it, I can't make this sound. I can't make this sound. Now, that's not wrong. It may be even helpful for them. I don't know. But it makes my skin crawl like if somebody's scratching on a chalkboard. And I was like, oh, don't do that. Don't, oh, is this wrong? No, I didn't say it's wrong, but whoo, it just, I, let me lay my skin back down. It's one of the loudest joint, bone, grinding, snot, pop, slop, whatever. I don't know. It's not wrong. But I don't, and, and when we get married, guess what? Our spouse may have some, do some things that we really aren't that excited about. And it's going to be so easy to criticize. It's going to be so easy to say, well, mama didn't cook it that way. You better shut up or you're going on a fast. <laughs> and another thing, we shouldn't shout. Look at Proverbs 15 and 1. What does the Word of God say? It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Now, when you look at wrath, when you really study out wrath in the Old Testament, it talks about an open avenue of emotion that allows spiritual influence and involvement. So wrath is a dangerous thing. Okay, so a gentle answer turns away these spirits that want to get in. And, uh, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We should, we should not shout. You say, but my parents shouted and they made it. Let me tell you what, maybe your parents weren't the best example for God's teaching as you need to be. Amen? Don't major on minors. And we all know that there's some minors that seem to be majors, but in the long scope of time and things, they're really just minors, right? Get over it. Get over it. I remember we moved into our house about 13 years ago, 
And, uh, and I'd gone the extra expense. I built the house myself, and, and I worked. Oh, my goodness, I don't even want to think about it. It just, it wearies me. But I worked, and I did, oh, oh my goodness, to get this thing and to be able to afford it, doing a lot of the work myself. So there's more, invo- more invested in my house than just money. And uh, so I worked real hard to upgrade and have uh, mahogany floors. I, just want, I love wood, and, and I just wanted mahogany floors. And, and uh, all throughout, upstairs and downstairs. But the thing with mahogany floors is they're beautiful, but, but they show... They show if, they're, if water's on them or, you know, stuff's on them. You got to keep them clean. Man, I should have just put a gray carpet over the whole, everything, everything. I should have put a marbled carpet. It had so much black and gray marble together that if we dropped stuff on, I wouldn't even have noticed it. And my kids, they joke me. Townsend will stand up and say so. That, that Daddy's number one saying when we moved in the house, and they joke me even to this day, as we look at messes now and laugh at them, uh, is... Water and wood don't mix. And uh, so if they're spilling stuff on these floors, I'm like, water and wood don't mix. Clean them up. Get that up. Dry it up. And they're like, chill out, chill out, chill out. And now I'm spilling it because they have to do the cleaning. Back then they were young and I was doing the cleaning. I'm like, oh, (laughs) that water and wood don't mix. Somebody get a mop over here. (laughs) Boy, it makes life so much better when they get older. (laughs) Praise God. But I learned to stop majoring on the minors because I could have driven my kids away from me trying to keep everything spotless. And I said, you know what? We got to have a house that's lived in. That's why none of you are invited over because we live in it. (laughs) Back then, I would have invited you over because it was a showpiece. But it's lived in. It's got its bumps and its bruises and its scars and its stuff. And your house is lived in too. So why not come on over and and, and just don't look at the mess? (laughs) Amen. So don't major in minors. Now this one here's a challenge for some of you that I know. Be, don't be cranky, moody, or unsmiling. Like I said, there's some of you here. I know you. That's going to be a challenge. That's supposed to be funny. You're like, oh my goodness, he's talking about me. Do you know I learned to practice this years ago, and it helped me probably not as much as me getting saved. Not as much as me getting filled with the Holy Ghost. But this practical thing has probably helped me next to being filled with the Holy Ghost and saved and sanctified and and just covered in the blood of Jesus. And that is this. I discipline myself to smile. I discipline myself. Even today... When I come, if I hear my kids come home or, or, and I'm home ahead of them and, and I hear them come in, as I'm coming down the stairs, I, and I do it automatic now, I say, put, put, smile. Because did you know you're going to be nicer when you smile? You're going to be less likely to let the devil use your tongue when you smile? Did you know that you're going to be more open to the Holy Ghost when you smile? I've learned that to be true. Because God is a happy God and God is a joyful God and God turns our mourning into dancing. So, so he, he doesn't want to hang out with the mourning side of us. He wants, to, he wants to manifest himself in and through our dancing side. And a cheerful, he loves a cheerful giver. I know Jason uh, Mukan was here this past Sunday or the Sunday before and uh, from Portland, Oregon. 23-year-old hipster from, maybe he's not a hipster, but he grew up in the hipster group, uh, you know, that, that culture in Portland. We, we visited Portland and we got off, the air, got off the airplane in the airport and all across the wall it says, keep Portland weird. I mean, painted everywhere. 
Not, not, I mean, professional signs. Don't come here and mess us up. We want to stay weird. Oh, wow, that's weird. They're like, yeah, you fit right in. Well, he came here. He grew up there, and he visited, and he said, wow. We asked him, how did you like the church service? He said, wow, I've never been to a church like this in my life, and I've always gone to church. Really? Christian embassy, I never experienced it. I said, really? He said, everybody's so happy. Everybody just seems so happy, and they act like they know each other. I mean, they, they really like, like each other. He says, and when y'all went to take up the offering, I never heard anything like this. I said, what? He says, everybody clapped. He says, at every church I've ever gone to, they go under the pews, or they excuse themselves to go to the bathroom when they call for the ushers to take up the offering. And if a bag p- passes them by, he says, they see how fast they can pass it. So that it's almost as though it didn't touch them, you know, poof, just hot potato. And I was like, wow, hot potato. How about that? Wow. So, um, so you guys, you, you, you've been doing good. You took this Portlander and you had a smile on your face. And because you had a smile on your face, I believe you're more of a conduit for the Holy Ghost to, to, to work through you. How many, how many of you met somebody that frowns all the time and they're grumpy and cranky and, and you just love being around them? Yeah. And you love being around them. Put the hand down. You know you don't love being around them. You know who they are, but you don't love being around them. Wow. <laughs> These two are getting in trouble here. <laughs> don't compare with anyone else. Don't say, wife, to the husband, but my daddy. Don't say to the husband, I mean the wife, husband, but my mama or a girl I used to date. She used to do this for me. You're going to be Fred Flintstone sitting on the front porch. <laughs> Wilma. <laughs> but what you should do is you should accept your spouse as they are. Come on now, accept your spouse as they are. You say, but they're not fully spiritually mature like I am. Well, you just showed me how spiritually immature you are. I've had so many, I've had so many people say, well, my husband or my wife, they're just not spiritually where I am. And I understand what they're saying, but, but come on now. There may be more maturity in there than you giving credit to it. It's just not, they're not more, they're not lined up to how you want them to be. See, God said, raise up a child in the way that they should go. And in the Hebrew, it means according to their bend. So according to their bend, we, we all want to straighten people up to, to our measurement, right? And we try to do that to our spouse. And many times the very uniqueness of your spouse is what drew you to them. And now all of a sudden you get married and you're in covenant and you want to change them. That's not a good feeling when someone's trying to change you. Now, I understand there are some spouses that aren't serving the Lord like they should. And yes, we want to see them. But let me tell you what. You beating them over the head with King James is not going to do it. They'll tell you to take that and take your church and take your religion. And without a smile, they'll tell you what to do with it. So you got to be careful. Man, let your light shine so that they can see Christ in you. Amen. So learn to say, I'm sorry. Because you and I both know you mess up sometimes. You say things you shouldn't have said. You, sh- you didn't say things you should have said. You gave things you shouldn't have given. And you didn't give things you should have given. You know, we all are guilty, right? We goof up. 
and we need to not have that spirit of pride in our house. Satan rides on the chariot of pride. So get the pride out and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Look at your spouse now. If you're sitting next to your spouse, say, I'm sorry. Now, he, they really mean it now because they're doing it in church. They're doing it in church. Come on. This, this, this is for 10 sorries. One sorry in church is like 10 sorries at home. So, so guys and gals, you can really bank up your sorries right now. <laughs> and then forgive 70 times 7. Infinity. Forgive. Forgive. Man, don't hold on to that thing. Because the enemy will use that infraction to bring his spirit of divisiveness, of divisive, that, that, that sense of destruction into your marriage. So you've got to learn to forgive. What does the Bible say? We don't let the sun go down on our anger. Wow, that's hard, isn't it? Because sometimes you want to sleep on it before you talk about it. And many times, if you're old school, you never even want to talk about it. Pretend it never happened until someone else bumps you again, and then it all comes back, and it's magnified. Man, we got to learn to say, I'm sorry, and we got to learn to forgive. And then to pay attention to dates. I've heard people say, well, I've had so many birthdays, I've stopped counting. Let me tell you what, spouse to spouse, don't forget. Don't forget. That was a special day that God put on this earth, a person that would become one with you. And you should be looking for dates, looking for opportunities to bless them. And you can bless them beyond just, you can just make something up. You can just make something up. I do. And, and, and Pastor Rodica, she's like, really? I said, yeah. And she said, when did that happen? I said, I just made it up. <laughs> but we're going to celebrate it as I celebrate you. And she just gets prettier and sweeter and more loving. And, and she just becomes more and more my heartbeat. And as I celebrate her, come on, come on, men. Yeah, amen. I got one. Got one that's getting married. He said, yeah, it's easy on this side. <laughs> come August 21st. It'll be good. It'll be good. 21st will be the day after. So that's what I'm talking about. He's like, no, we're getting married the 20th. No, that's the honeymoon night. The day after is when the marriage starts. <laughs> it's good, brother, but you got to learn to be the man and lead in this thing and, and pay attention to dates. And I know you guys, do y'all bring up dates? Y'all make up dates, too. Dates they met in college, dates they sat under the stairwell, dates that, I mean, they got all kind of dates. <laughs> They're good to go. And meet the needs of your spouse. You say, no, I want my needs met. No, let's do a biblical thing. Give. Where's that scripture at? Where's that scripture at? Is it out there? There it is. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You sitting there saying, oh, I want them to do this for me. I want no, you give. There's the law of reciprocity. It works in marriage, too. It works in the home, too. Amen. So you be the initiator, you give, and you'll find that thing, good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over, comes back, runs you over, and it is good. Hallelujah. So give more, and I hated to put this one down, give more praise than complaints, because you really, we don't want to be giving complaints, but I, I just want you to have that in your head. Every time you want to complain about something, say, no, I need to give more praise. I need to give more praise. And then love your partner. 
And God tells you how to love your partner. And it's not an eros love only. When you're married, husband and wife only, you can have an eros love in its full measure to husband and wife in covenant only. Marriage. Say marriage. marriage. Say marriages of God. Marriage. Come on, we don't need to be shacking and living together. We need to get married. We need to, can you say that in 21st century? You can't at Christian Embassy because it's still the Word of God, right? So here's not an eros love only, but let's take it to what God says an agape love is. And here's an agape love. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have a gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And as though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and as though I give my body to be burned, but not, don't have love, it profits me nothing. Going back to that sounding brass or a clanging cymbal, did you know that um, is in reference to when uh, they would have these symbols and these, uh, uh, they would set up and as they would go to call on their false god to do something for them. And, and they stand there and they just bang, bang, clang, clang, bang, bang. And the god never does anything because the god is dead. There is no god. If it was a man, that man's dead. If it was a rock, it's still a rock. If it was a tree, it's still a tree. Nothing could come out of it. And it's what he says here. If you uh, speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, it's become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Nothing good is going to come out of that. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It's, it thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. He bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. That's the kind of love you need in your family. That's the kind of love you need with your wife. That's the kind of love you need to draw on from God so that you can manifest it in your household because this kind of love never fails. He said, but whether there's prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. And whether there's knowledge, all that will vanish away. But we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away the childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. A love that is not puffed up. A love that is not easy to be angered. A love that gives. A love that cares. Even when it seems like the one is not reciprocating that. Thank God for His amazing agape love towards us. And God is calling us to have that agape love towards Him and have it expressed on this earth between husband and wife as it is between Jesus and the church. Amen? That's why He says in Ephesians 5, 1, 2, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Be practical. Walk in love. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So these three primary strategies that Satan uses against the family is first to effectively alienate and sever the relationship between the husband and wife, and then to secondly effectively alienate and sever the relationship between parents and children. Whether you know it or not, Satan is trying to turn your kids against you and the devil is trying to turn you against your children. 
I'm telling you, he is working that. And he's working it very effectively for those who are without knowledge. God said, my people perish for lack of knowledge. We're going to be aware. We're going to be made alert to what Satan is trying to do. That as much as we love that child and as much as that child may love us, that Satan is dropping bombs. Satan is trying to set up warfare in such a way with strategies that is going to destroy that if he can get his wedge in there. And we're going to have our shield of faith and we're going to fight. and We're going to have our armor of God and we're not going to let the devil do this between us and our children. Now, here's three ways you can save your children from destruction. And the first one is spend time with them. Wow. Boy, that's a really deep one, isn't it? Spend time with them. And as you spend time with them, show and express your love to them. They need to not only hear it from you, they need to see it from you. But they not only need to see it from you, they also need to hear it from you. I could have our three kids together right now, as probably will happen just in a, maybe an hour and a half, two, we get home, and uh, I walk in, and I'm going to say, you know, uh, I can't help but say this, and they're going to say, we know you love us, but we love you more. Because I tell them, I've seen children grow up never hugged by their parents, Never told eye to eye that they were loved by their parents. Never heard it. Never heard it. And then I've talked to some parents who said, well, you know, I'm not very emotional and I'm not very outward in that, but I give them everything they need. I go to work. That shows them I love them. I I buy them whatever they want. No, let me tell you what. We spend time with them and we show it, yes, but we also express it with our love by saying it. There's nothing going to happen to you. Let me tell you. Your feet will not rot off if you say I love you to your children. What are you afraid of? The enemy is trying to silence your tongue from releasing the love that is in your heart and you are yielding to a demon of hell rather than the glorious wonders of your family that came miraculously by God's work through your life? Wow. Second way to save your child from destruction is spend time with them. Wow, we're getting even deeper here. Amen. So we train them in the ways of God as we spend time with them. Oh, I sent them to Sunday school. The church's responsibility. The church is there only to come alongside and reinforce and to confirm what you are showing them and teaching them in the home. They need to know about God from you. They need to know about having a relationship with Jesus from you. They need to know your salvation story. They need to know how you've come under the blood of Jesus and how Jesus, by His precious name, severed the ties and the bondages that held you down and freed you as a man or a woman of God. You need to tell them and show them the ways of God. Amen. You say, my kids are grown. Well, you still need to show them and tell them the ways of God. You say, well, I've got grandkids. You need to tell them and show them the ways of God. Let me tell you what, no matter how stoic, no matter how uh, hipster, or no matter how culturally relevant a a younger generation acts like they want to be, there's a heart there that was created by God with a void that only God can fill it, and it's yearning to worship God, but if it doesn't have direction, it's going to worship something. So why not be the man, why not be the woman to show them who they should worship because you are worshiping him and he is the real deal. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So another way to save your children from destruction is spend time with them. Man, we're getting so deep you will get a PhD out of this one. Listen to them. 
and learn from them. Did you know you can learn something from your children? Man, I had a four-year-old. Maybe they were going on five. I don't think they had the birthday yet. Show me how to use my, use my phone. I couldn't figure something out. And they, they're not even talking good. Hand it to me, it's working. Those little, those little critters are smarter than you give them credit. Come on now. <laughs> Amen. They want to be heard. Don't always be talking over them. Don't always be giving them instructions. Listen to them. I ask our kids, when dad did this or dad did that, or oh, how did that make you feel? When God, I mean, when daddy, when I, uh, you know, uh, you know, maybe put your own restriction or whatever. We, we talk about going back. I say, how did that make you feel? What were you thinking? I said, be honest. You're not going to get in trouble. And boy, the things they tell me. I was like, Whoa. Whoa. Good thing I got a lock on my door. Man. Man. No, nah, it's not quite that bad. <laughs> Listen to them and learn from them. So we're looking at these strategies that the enemy uses against the family and he's trying to alienate the husband from the wife and he's trying to alienate the, the parents from the children. And then third, he's trying to alienate and sever a Christian from the spiritual disciplines that will keep you fit and effective for spiritual battle. Boy, if he can get the husband against the wife and that don't work, he get the parents against the children. If that don't work, oh, here's the, here's the bomb that'll work. All I got to do is get them severed from their relationship with God, the spiritual disciplines of the maturing and growing in Christ. And man, I can get in there and destroy the whole household. See, we wrestle with two serious problems. I call it spiritual anorexia and spiritual bulimia. Now, do you know what anorexia is and bulimia is? What is it, anorexia nervoso or nervosa, something like that. It's this psychological aversion to food from eating. Uh, simply put, it's somebody who avoids food. And, and I think this phenomenon got uh, uh, some uh, insight and, and got a lot of attention back in, I think it was February 4th, 1983 with Karen Carpenter. You remember she died of this when she was only 32 years old? So, but I, I go a little further. I say there's something called spiritual anorexia. And, and the enemy has been incredibly successful at spreading this. And, and what is spiritual anorexia? You may say, well, spiritual anorexia is the aversion of, of reading the scripture. The aversion of eating the bread of life that God has given to us. And we've all seen tragic pictures of, of starving children, maybe in Ethiopia. They're, they're weak, they cannot stand up. But, but you know, anorexia Christians are weak spiritually. And they lack nutritional food, spiritual food, in order to fight the good fight of faith. Jesus said in Matthew 4 and 4, He said, Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's how we live. That abundant life comes, we live it out by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And if you look in Deuteronomy 32, verse 46, it says, Take to heart all the words that I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you, they are your life. They are your life, he says. So, so no wonder the enemy wants to keep us from the Scriptures. He's trying his best to keep you from the Word of God. And, and if I were to ask you here tonight, I guarantee you, probably most of you here would say you believe the Bible is inspired by God. It is the infallible Word of God. 
You would probably even go as far to tell me you got several translations that, uh, in your house and you hold it high, of high esteem, but if we ask you the next question, how often do you read it? We might be a little disappointed in the answers that we would hear. Will you read it at church? Yeah, when the pastor puts it on the screen. Yeah, I read it at church. I get a daily devotional. I, I take that little nugget and, and how great that is. A thousand Christian men were polled and only 45% of them said they even read their Bible once a week. And then when they were polled even more, they said, well, once every other week. And then when they asked them a deeper question, they said, well, at least once a month. At least once a month. I would encourage you, as I encourage myself, we need to read the Word of God every day. Why? Because it reminds us that there is a God who is ruling the affairs of my life. That I am held accountable, that I have someone I can trust, someone I can call on, someone I can depend on, someone who is speaking to me. I can open my spirit to hear from the Spirit of God as the Holy inspired Word of God. I take it into my life. And I need to read the Word of God every day because I need to be reminded what is true. Because the enemy's doing everything he can in culture and with the technology we have today, we're bombarded by trying to give us a half-truth, twisted truth, and, 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 and everything that is maybe looks true, but when you look on the other side of it, it is false. I need to read the Word of God because I need to be reminded of what is right and wrong. Because there are, there are negotiators today like none other who would win a Toastmasters uh, competition trying to convince us that what is right is wrong and what is wrong is right. And what is good is bad and what is bad is good. The Bible told us these days would come. The Bible prepared us for this hour. And we need to be reminded of that. I need to read the Word of God every day because it reminds me that there are consequences for my choices. That I am not just a free agent, can do anything, and, and, and what I do has no domino effect on anybody around me. It's none of their business that the Word of God shows me that I'm a part of the plan of God, the family of God, and, and what I do does affect others, and there are consequences to the choices that I make. I need to read the Word of God because I need to understand that the Ten Commandments are still the standard and that the plumb line of God's Word is not being turned, moved to the left or the right just because of someone's agenda that God still has truth. I need to read the Word of God every day because the Word of God reminds me I'm not to repay evil with evil. Because as much as I love God and as much as I prayed in the Spirit and as much as I serve God and as much as I preach the Word of God, there's still when somebody of an evil nature comes against me, there's something rises up in me and I want to repay evil with evil. And I'm reminded that that's not the way. I'm to let God, God's going to give the vengeance. God will do the vengeance. I've got to re re release that to Him. He said He will repay. And once I release it to God, it frees me up to move on in the Spirit of God. I need the Word of God because it re reinforces me of my convictions. Because I'm not holy like all of you where I get up every day and I deal with life and never have a challenge uh, uh, to my convictions. And, you know, sometimes it's like, you know what? In this particular case, it would be so much easier just to, just to say, I don't know when I really do know. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or am I struggling up here all by myself? But then I, the Word of God keeps me informed every day that a white lie is a lie. 
And Revelation 21 and 8 says, all liars will be friars. Well, it doesn't quite say it that way, but that's my, my version. They will all end up in the lake of fire. That you can't give half-truth. You can't give a white lie because it's more convenient at the moment. It'd be better for you to say, I'd rather not say. Be truthful in that, I'd rather not say. Then say, oh, yeah, 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 I did it, yeah, sure. And then you're like, oh, i got to run and do it because I said I did it. That'll, that'll, make the tr- that'll make the lie true because then it will be, nah. I need the word of God because it helps me stay up on my convictions. So that's spiritual anorexia. But then there's spiritual bulimia. You know, the binging and purging, the binging and purging, which denies the body its needed nutrients. And if you're talking spiritual bulimia, it is the inconsistent reading or hearing of the Word of God without personal application. We get all revived up and we get spiritual and we get, yes, and we're going to do it and we're going to live it and then we, we, we deflate. And we do just the opposite. And now we're depressed and we're, we don't even know if we're saved and we don't know if we're going back to church ever again and we're not doing this and then all of a sudden something comes up and we're back again, you know, just back and forth, back and forth. Spiritual bulimia is an aversion to applying the scripture to your life. And without meditation leading to application, there will be no spiritual digestion and you'll continue to lose your strength. You won't be a strong man or woman of God. So let me look, explain this from different angles here. If the opposite of up is down, right, and the opposite of happy is sad, and the opposite of on is off, what is the opposite of ignorance? Knowledge. See, when we get saved, we're spiritual infants, spiritually ignorant, right? Paul talks about this milk of the word and then going on to the meat of the word, right? So when we try to acquire knowledge, let me tell you what, that is not good enough. Knowledge without application is bulimia, that spiritual bulimia. The nutrients go in the body, but they don't remain in there long enough to bring sustenance to the body. See, God's desire is us to move from ignorance to knowledge to obedience. Some people say, well, I know the Word of God. I say, are you doing the Word of God? Jesus said, you will show your love for me and that you obey my commandments. You say you love me, show me. Right? James 1.22, he says, do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Let's read that last part together. Do what it says. I mean, that's simple, but if you don't do what it says, you're deceiving yourselves. You're just listening to the Word, but you've got to do the Word. So the goal is not knowledge, but obedience. And obedience means that I apply the Word of God in my circumstances. I apply it in my marriage. I apply it with my children. I apply it in my business. I apply it in my finances. I apply it in my life. I apply the Word of God. Come on now. Look at what Ezra said. He says, uh, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it. See, the Bible is the meat and potatoes of our spiritual life. And it has to be digested. Believe me, they throw it up. You can't throw it up. You can't just take it and say, oh, that tastes good, that tastes good, but I'm not going to let it be applied in and through my life. 
If you're feeling overwhelming and discouraged in your walk with Christ, and if you feel like you're being defeated and you're spiritually ineffective and you've lost your excitement, you've lost your enthusiasm, and, and uh, you've given in to habitual sin and, and, and things you said you wouldn't do, now you just yielded to and you're doing it, and, and, and you're duped by the enemy and, and you're ignoring the Scripture, let me tell you what. The enemy has put a, the very point of his wedge in your life, and he's trying to sever you from your God and His Word and the application of His Word. My friend, you cannot live without the Bible. It's your life. You need to read your Bible. You need to. You say, Pastor, it's such simple preaching. Well, we're not going to poll, but if we took a poll, we would find it's needed preaching. We need to be encouraged because I know I need to be encouraged. I'm a preacher. You say, well, you have to read the Word of God. Why? Well, you know, in a way I do. But I don't want to be living my life by what, having to read the Word of God. I've found that there is life. This is the breath of God. This is the Spirit of God. This is the wisdom of God. This is the knowledge of God. This is God talking to me. This is God instructing me. This is God encouraging me. This is God blessing me. This is my father putting his hand on my shoulder and saying, Son, look here, we're going, you got you going in the right way. This is life. This is life. So you need to make a commitment to read your Bible and read, a, you know, read five Psalms and a proverb a day. you got 31 Proverbs, so every month you'll be reading through the Proverbs and five Psalms a day you'll be reading through the Psalms a day. That's one way. Listen to the Bible. Get a year Bible plan. Read through the Bible. Memorize the Bible. Uh, there's memory programs. There's apps for this. There's apps for that. There's, I mean, everything I'm saying here is so readily available and free. All you need to do is make up your mind that I'm going to make eating the Word of God a daily part of my life. You should make a, make a, a, a commitment to yourself that if I refuse to eat the Word, then I'm not going to allow myself to eat food. So if you'll eat the Word, then that will remind you you have liberty to eat food. I guarantee we'd be reading the Word a whole lot more. Some of us three times a day. Some of us five times a day. And some of us, I'm not going to say. <laughs> and the benefits we see in Psalms 1 and 3, he says, you'll be like a tree planted by the waters, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever it does, he prospers. Whatever he does, he prospers. Don't you want to be like a tree that doesn't wither, planted by the rivers of water? That's the man of God or the woman of God that lives on the Word of God. Praise God. Hallelujah. I, I just, uh, there was two men in the woods and they were walking and suddenly they heard the roar of a grizzly bear. Roar! Or whatever a grizzly bear does. That may be more a lion. I don't know. And uh, both of these men, they, they know how dangerous grizzlies are. And one of the men sat down and began putting his running shoes on. And his buddy says, you think you're going to outrun that grizzly bear? He said, I don't need to outrun that grizzly bear. I just got to outrun you. <laughs> The point is, when you read the Word of God, it builds up endurance. And that endurance in your life, when you come under challenges, and you will come under challenges, you don't break, you don't lose, you don't run out of breath, you don't run out of spiritual breath. I want you to move from the milk of the Word to the meat of the Word and start getting that, that protein to building up the spiritual muscle in your life so that you can outrun the one that the bear can catch and eat. No, no, no. <laughs> 
Prayer is to the soul what exercise is to the body. So when we read the Word of God, you find that you, it draws you into communication with God as He's talking to you. And, he, and throughout the Scripture, He's saying, He's asking of you. He's calling on you. His Spirit is saying, what do you say, son? What do you say, daughter? So we need to include prayer as a part of that. Amen? And I don't believe. Now, I don't mind this. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to say this is good, but it's not enough. Because I don't believe a five-minute quiet time will properly prepare you for the battle that is ahead. I really don't. I think that's a great place to start. And I think every one of us should have that five-minute time with God in prayer every day. But that's not going to build your endurance. You know, if you know anything about aerobics, you've got to go at least 30 minutes, three times a week in order to build up your endurance and your breath there. You've got to set up a plan uh, and have a plan to spend time with God or you're going to have five-minute little nuggets, three-minute little nuggets, a right before, right after you say, "Achoo, God bless you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. It's a great day. Amen. You know, that's your time with God. Come on now. We plan budgets. We plan meals. We plan trips. We plan cookouts. We plan tune-ups. We plan doctor's appointments. We plan everything. Why don't we plan a time to spend with God? Come on now. Here's five necessary components, and I'm wrapping up with this. You need to plan a time. You need to plan a time. If you think it's going to happen, if it's not planned, it's not. You'll be just like us. We had one of the vehicles, uh, and, and it was like, it's, all, it's, it's July 31st. We, hadn't, we didn't even notice. Didn't even notice. Then we noticed, oh, the expense, inspection sticker goes out. So we call up inspection offices, you know, around and they laugh. <laughs> it's the 31st. You're the 349th caller today. Good luck. Click. Not today. Click. Not happening. Click. <laughs> you really? You really? Click. We didn't plan it. So now we were at the mercy of trying to find something. It was kind of a panic of getting this thing done. Thank God we got it done. We got it done. And as the head of the house and as the man of the house, I got to put it on the calendar. Come on. And, and, and we're going to do that. Y'all hold me accountable. Ask me Sunday, did you put it on your calendar? And I'm not going to give you a white lie if I didn't. If I didn't, I'll say, nope, thank you for the reminder. If I did, I'll say, yes. And that won't happen again because I'm going to set it on the schedule. And I'm going to put the reminder, the alarm that reminds you a week ahead so we're not on the last day. Same thing we got to make a plan in every part of our lives, and we need to make a plan to spend time with God. Plan a time, plan a place. Oh, while I'm driving through the traffic, if we happen to have uh, an accident and a standstill, I can spend some time in the Word with God there. No! Come on now, plan a place. Your den, the office, your bedroom, a closet, a place for privacy where you're undisturbed. My family knows when I go in my office and lock the door that Daddy and God is having their time. Don't mess with him. Any other time, my office door is wide open. But when my door is shut, they know it's locked, and that's Daddy's time with the Lord. And, and I had to teach them that. And if I go to their rooms and their doors are shut, I know they're having their time with God. Otherwise, we're an open-door family. We love each other. Praise God. So, so you need to plan a place. Make a list. I had to do this for me because sometimes I go brain dead. I get there and say, hmm, anybody have that moment when you just can't think of anything? 
I know people wanted me to pray for them. I know that there's situations. I know. I just can't think of anything. So you start making a list, and you just keep that list. And when you go take that list, it'll help you uh, in, in getting started. And, and start with a scripture. You say, what scripture? Well, I told you, read a, a five psalms a day and a proverb a day. That's one way you could be on a routine. Get a one-year Bible and go through it. You could do that. You could do the old school stuff. Just open it. But it may say he went out and hung himself. You, you may don't want to go totally with that, you know. But get in the word. What you'll do is you'll find that you get in the word. And I encourage you to start in the New Testament. Okay, if you're not really familiar reading your Bible, because you may get lost in all the begats in the Old Testament. And uh, just get in there and just get the red, read the red. Jesus is talking right to you. All of it is God's talking to you, but man, it's that red. Just start with the red. I don't want to get so intellectual here that I lose you, but get in the Word. You say, well, what's the New Testament? That's, if you go about a little over halfway the Bible, that right side. That's the, that's the New Testament. I had people say that. What's New Testament, Old Testament? What is all that? Just go, this is the right side is the New Testament. <laughs> and then make yourself accountable to someone. That's a good thing to do because if you don't, if somebody, until, you get, until you get disciplined in this, it's good to have an accountability partner for sure because you'll start getting lax. Once you get disciplined in it, nobody's going to take it from you. Nobody's going to take my time away from me and the Lord. One thing, I got too much. I've got too many lives that God has given me influence over that I could affect in a positive or a negative way than for me to be running to my, I need, I need to hear from God. I need to love on him and I need to, 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 to have him uh, surge in and through me with his word and his spirit every day. So, so when you get to that place, you can still have somebody you're accountable to, but let me tell you what, no, you don't need that then because nobody can take that away from you. Just like, when Pastor Dick and I, we, we spend so much time together. When we're apart, we're, where are you? Where are you? Let's get back together. It's like, well, we've only been apart a couple of hours, but we love, we feed off each other. She, and she stimulates and encourages me, and I do the same for her, or I irritate her or something like that. It does make motion and activity come out of her. And uh, no, no. And we just love each other. Man, if we we're going to be separated for a week or a month, that would be horrible. Well, it's the same way with God to, to when you fall in love with him and learn to depend and draw on him. You, nobody's going to pull that away from you. You'll be, be on the phone with him at 1230 midnight when everybody's in the bed. If you have to, you will be spending time with him. Come on now. So these are the three primary strategies Satan uses against the family. He's trying to effectively alienate and sever a relationship between a husband and wife. We're not going to allow it. Amen. You've been made aware. We're not going to allow it. That didn't, wasn't convincing. Uh, that wasn't convincing either. Okay, okay. We're not going to allow the devil to, to destroy our marriage. Amen. And he also comes in to try and alienate and sever a relationship between our parents and the children. We're not going to allow that. And then he tries to sever our relationship between God, and we're not going to allow that. Now, you've made up your mind. I've made up my mind. We're not going to allow it. Say, I'm not going to allow it. I'm not going to not on my watch. Not on my watch. I'm not going to allow it. Amen. Are you committed to it? Man, if you will not only be a hearer, but a doer of this word, man, it will literally bless and change your life and your family and their future. Praise God. Let's just stand together and celebrate his goodness. Lord, we just celebrate you tonight. Come on, celebrate a God that gave family. Celebrate a God that, that gave us family. Amen. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, as we gather here the night, we've studied your word, Lord. I thank, I pray, God, that through my fumbling words that you, Holy Spirit, have taken and made a, a point and an impact or a life-changing uh, instruction, Lord God, to someone here tonight. Lord, it's my heart's desire to be used of you to help build up your body, Lord. You're coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle, a glorious church. And Lord, I want to be a part of being uh, used of you as an instrument of righteousness to help build that glorious church. And Lord, as your glory is in this house and your glory is on each and every one of these men and women and your glory so desires to go into their homes and go into their families and, 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 and impact their children and their children's children and the people they have influence over in their spiritual walk with you, Lord God. Lord, I just pray as we take your word serious and as we commit to walk it out, Lord, let your glory let your glory, Lord God, flow in and through us in ways that we could never imagine. Lord God, to build up your church, to build up your kingdom here on earth. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here today, God, that has a need in their life, Lord, you are our God that meets our needs according to your riches and glory. So, Lord, whatever the need is, if it's physical, financial, spiritual, relational, Lord God, if it's whatever it is, God, I pray right now, that they would say, God, I thank you. I thank you for being the God that meets all my needs according to your riches and glory. I receive it. I receive the miracle. I pray, Lord God, there would be reception in this house that we would receive the miracle of needs met. We didn't come up with this. You did. And you declared that I am your God and I meet all of your needs according to my riches and glory. So, Lord God, we just receive right now needs met so that we don't go out of here crippled in any area of our lives and causing that to affect in a negative way our families or those that we have influence over. So Lord, we just receive right now healing in our body. We receive restoration and encouragement, Lord God, and renewal of our mind. Lord God, we receive a healing of a broken heart. Lord God, of something abandonment and lies and cheating and, and pain and words that have been said and, and things that have been done, Lord God, that the enemy tried to, to break our heart and destroy us. Lord, heal that broken heart. Lord God, Lord, we just receive your, your riches, Lord God, of glory into our finances, Lord, that we're not going to live in fear and we're not going to live in trepidation. Lord, we're committed to do your word. We're a tither, Lord God. We honor you with the first fruit. And you said you would meet all of our needs, Lord. You'd meet all of our needs. You'd open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing. So, Lord God, we just want to thank you for meeting our financial needs, Lord God, helping us put our hands to work, Lord, and the blessing that comes on that. Lord, we just thank you for meeting our needs relationally, Lord. Maybe the enemy's got a husband and wife at odds with each other here tonight. Or maybe someone's tuned in. And the enemy's trying to bring that, that evil D word of divorce into the, into the marriage. Lord, we cancel the enemy's assignment right now. We cancel his assignment, Lord God, and we pray for healing in this marriage. Healing, Lord God, in this marriage between this husband and this wife. We pray the spirit of pride would be cast down. They would humble themselves and they would, they would apologize and they would show there's how sorry they really are, Lord God. And they would ask for forgiveness and, and, and receive that forgiveness, Lord God. Lord, that this marriage can be saved. 
Lord God, whatever the enemy has planned to destroy our children, we cancel it right now in the name of Jesus. And we pray, God, your protection over our children, your protection over them physically and over them spiritually and over them relationally, Lord God. And, and if we got grandchildren or great-grandchildren, Lord God, we, we pray, spread the net over all of our family. Hallelujah. And Lord God, as we go into this night, Lord, we go in your favor and we go in your blessings and with your anointing as we go in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.